Long time ago, a spiritual thinker named Teresa of Avila wrote, when one reaches the highest degree of human maturity, one has only one question left. And it's not, what's the matter with everybody else? And it's not, can I go to heaven now? It's, how can I be helpful? We all think we need help, but actually there's a, a need that's much, much deeper. Greatest teacher who ever taught in the Sermon on the Mount uh, said that what's insurmountable in your life are not your problems, it's the presence of God in his kingdom. So you can make this a golden rule day. And Jesus gave a few unforgettable pictures of what it means to live a golden rule kind of life. And we look at the first one today. He said to that little group of needy, desperate, uh, often sick people that are described at the end of Matthew 4 that hear the Sermon on the Mount, he said words that would have come as a great shock to them. You are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown on the ground and trodden underfoot. Uh, one writer says that when Jesus uses this metaphor, you are the salt of the earth, it's kind of like telling little fish, not, uh, <laughs> little fish, little birds, you got to get out of the nest. Fish don't belong in nests. Tell little birds, uh, you got to get out there. So I want to think about salt for a few moments. There's actually a book by uh, Mark Kerensky called Salt, a World History, an unlikely bestseller. But in our day, we think of salt as kind of a bonus thing. Actually, a slight majority of salt in our day is used for um, de-icing roads. But in the ancient world, they discovered that it was absolutely essential for life. It was a preservative. Egyptians would use it for uh, mummification. Rot, deterioration, decay was greatly feared in the ancient world. And salt had this ability to preserve life. And um, it also had kind of healing properties in it. And it made life flavorful. There's actually a verse in Job, chapter 6, verse 6, where Job says, Is tasteless food eaten without salt? Apparently, Job was not Scandinavian because any good sweet will tell you, yes, of course, it's meant to be. Lots of butter and, and sugar. And it's eaten without garlic, too. Jesus hated garlic, but I digress. So uh, to people in the ancient world, um, salt was not something that was optional. It was utterly essential. And the idea of this is you are the salt of the earth. You were made not just to be blessed by God, but to be a blessing to other people. Your deepest need is not to get help, as deep as we all know that one is. It is to be helpful. It is to be useful. Salt does not exist for its own sake. You never go to somebody's house and have a meal and say afterwards, man, that was great salt. Where can I get that salt? No, the purpose of salt is to pour itself out for something beyond itself, for life beyond itself. And Jesus has this uh, very striking, surprising word to people who did not think they were anything special. We'll come back to that in a minute. You are the salt of the earth. So your question is, how can I be helpful today? And one person who becomes the salt of the earth can make an enormous difference. A man named Ernest Gordon wrote a book, To End All Wars. He was... Uh, an officer in the British Army in World War II. He was captured 
and in a prisoner of war camp where they had to build a railroad. This was on the River Kwai, and they were under brutal and inhuman conditions. They would have to work 120 degree heat, all kinds of filth, no medicines. Uh, they died, I think 80,000 men died building that railroad, 393 corpses for every mile of railroad. And it's not just that they were brutalized, they became brutal themselves. They would, a stronger prisoner, attack a weaker prisoner for a few grains of rice. Until one day, he writes about this in his, in his book, um, when the work crew finished for the day, a shovel was missing. And one of the guards said, who took the shovel? Who stole it? Who's trying to escape? And nobody admitted it. So he took out a rifle and said, I will, I will shoot people starting with the first man one by one by one till somebody confesses. And one man stepped forward and said, I took it. And uh, he was beaten and bludgeoned to death. They kicked his corpse. Later on that night, when the Rook crew uh, reviewed everything, they discovered that they were not missing a shovel. It was there all along. It had been a mistake. And the men in that camp remembered this verse from the Bible that says, Greater love has no man than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And something began to happen. Uh, they began to see and treat each other differently. People who were stronger would share food with those who were weaker. Uh, Gordon himself at one point had fever and he was placed in what they would call a death house, just waiting to die. But he had friends, Dusty Miller, who was a Methodist, and Dinty Moore. Sounds like Stu. Dinty was a Roman Catholic. Then they began to come and massage his useless legs and do latrine duty for him so that he wouldn't suffer. He writes that he had not thought about religion for a long time, but he began to think about it now. They all did. And so they began a chapel. And he was its kind of unofficial pastor. And they began to grow a garden so that they could grow medicinal herbs to try to help each other towards health. And they started an unofficial university and they taught classes in history and philosophy and seven different languages, including Latin and Greek and Russian and Sanskrit. And they were so transformed that when the end of the war came, instead of treating their captors with hatred and um, brutality, they treated them with forgiveness and mercy. And Ernest Gordon himself uh, became dean of the chapel at Princeton University. And it all happened, beginning with one man who had no power, no position, no authority. The kingdom works this way. He just stepped forward and said, uh, I will offer myself in order to help my friends. Now, this is crucial to understand for you and me. When Jesus says these words, they come at the end of the Beatitudes. You are the salt of the earth. He is looking at and addressing people who believed that their lives made no difference at all. Dallas Willard writes this in The Divine Conspiracy. Speaking to these common people, the multitudes who through Jesus had found blessing in the kingdom, he tells them, it is they, not the best and brightest on the human scale, who are to make life on earth manageable as they live from the kingdom to cleanse, preserve, and flavor the times through which they live. Now that's you. These little people, without any of the character qualifications humans insist are necessary, are the only ones who actually make the world work. 
It is how things are among them that determines the character of every age and place. Dallas goes on. The complete obliteration of social and cultural distinctions as a basis for life under God was clearly understood by Jesus' followers as essential to the presence of Jesus in his people. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the poor. You, you are the salt of the earth. One more statement from here. Religion, and it always does this, um, had twisted around, had been twisted around to authorize an oppressive though religious social order that put glittering people, rich, well-educated, well-born, popular, powerful, influencer, you put in whatever adjective you want to, in possession of God. Jesus' proclamation clearly dumped them out of privileged position and raised ordinary people with no human qualifications into the divine fellowship by faith in Jesus. And now today, that's you. So your question is, how can I be helpful? God is with you right now in your little life, in your little body, with whatever qualifications and experience that you do or don't have, whatever your wounds, whatever your... Mis- it doesn't matter how you think your little life is going, how you think your little kingdom is doing. It doesn't matter. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus himself is not going to come down and take your place in your little life. So your question today from one moment to the next is just to be asked with God. It is not a burden. It is the greatest opportunity you will ever have. And it is just this simple. It's not particularly religious. How can I be helpful with each person as you see them? You just whisper that question. God, how might I be helpful to this person? What might I be able to do when I'm writing this email, when I'm running this errand, when I'm experiencing this moment, when I am reading this, when I'm doing this, when I'm saying this, how can I be helpful? You, 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 right there. This is the eternal now in an ordinary moment. You are the salt of the earth. Make it a golden rule day. You've been listening to Become New with John Orberg, where you can receive 10 minutes of daily teaching about the person you're becoming. If you like what you're hearing, you can head on over to our website, becomenew.com, where John has over 710 minute teachings on the person you're becoming, cataloged in 20 different series covering a range of topics you might be interested in. If you'd like to receive the emails that go along with each episode that include extra resources and discussion questions, you can let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. Lastly, if you have a prayer request, there's a team of us who meet each weekday to pray for listeners just like yourself. You can send your specific request to us at the number 855-888-0444. We're glad you're here, and we'll catch you next time.